It's episode 95 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the program is Annie Jean-Baptiste. She's Google's head of product inclusion and the author of the book, Building for Everyone. We're going to talk about how designing products through the lens of representation is not just a good ethical choice, but a strong business case as well. Annie, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm just so glad you're here. Um, this is a topic that we have touched on many times in the in the sort of the run of this podcast, uh, and I think there is just so much ground to cover. Um, you know, it's really interesting to have you on today, as yesterday was literally, as we're recording now, yesterday was the vice presidential debates in America. And I think that just serves as such an interesting juxtaposition to a conversation about inclusion. Uh, I mean, the debate itself was just this historic step for representation in America, Senator Harris being the, the first black woman on a stage like that. But also, you know, the repeatedly her having to to say, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, you know, what an example of representation really being about the need to be heard and to be seen, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants to feel seen, validated and thought of. And so it's really important that we make sure that voices that have historically been at the margins are really brought into the center. And that's really what I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, being, you know, a child of two immigrants, um, being, uh, you know, a black woman, it's really important that those who have ha been historically underrepresented um, have the space um, to kind of let their backgrounds and experiences shine. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'm really curious about your role at Google. I was at Google too, actually. Uh, 15, it was 15 years ago. I was just doing the math and I couldn't believe it, it was 2005, wow. 2006 uh, was the time I was there. A very different Google from the one that you're at now. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, um, uh, I'm wondering, wh what is a role like head of product inclusion? Like, What does that mean? Yeah, so product inclusion is all about making sure that we're building products that serve everyone. And so it's really about thinking through how we can bring an inclusive lens throughout the entire product design process. And so it's important to think through how we continue to ask who else and think through who has historically kind of been underrepresented in the entire product design process. Um, we've, we've focused on four main points in our product design process, which are the ideation, user research and design, user testing and marketing phases. Mm. But there are a lot of kind of inflection points or points in the process where you can, you know, continue to ask who else and make sure that you have uh, representation of the world um, in in the product design process. So th yeah, that's that's really interesting. Like when we were there uh, way back uh, at Google, it was really a time where user experience as a discipline was just was nascent, right? It was just kind of uh, uh, blooming and spreading, and um, and we we were getting mindshare around the idea of frankly bringing any user in to the process um, mm -hmm. and to to have any other voice than the people making the products participate in the shaping of those products. And so this this feels like quite an evolution to have this uh, this idea of, of further representation being being included at all the different stages of the product development process. How's, how's that been at Google? How's that been received? And like, how long have you been doing that? Yeah, so I've been um, working on product inclusion for about three years. Uh, I've been at Google for 10 years, um, but it started as a 20% project. So uh, we're allowed to spend 20% of our time, as you know, doing something that we're passionate about, uh, even if it's not our, our full-time role. And, and a few of us 
who were sitting on the diversity team at the time saw that there was an opportunity to kind of expand how we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion um, to make sure that we were really reflecting, um, you know, all of our users around the world so that, you know, no matter what they look like, uh, where they are in the world, who they love, what abilities they have, et cetera, um, they were being represented and thought of and that our products were kind of showing up for them in the moments that matter most. So um, I definitely think it, it's been a journey and an evolution, but I think that um, there's a lot of kind of excitement and commitment, which is really powerful to see, right? So it's not something that just lives um, within you know, the product inclusion team. It's something that everyone kind of has to espouse and, and make their own, right? So from product managers, to designers, um, to marketers, and more, it's really important that we all kind of have um, a shared accountability and pro proactive nature um, to thinking through who has been um, historically kind of less close um, to the process so that we're really building for everyone and with everyone. Mm, mm, yeah, for sure. Um, so how does the group function? Is it, is it more, is it like an internal consultancy? Do you go and advise other product teams or is it more like a, a discipline in itself where you have a bunch of, I don't know, product inclusion experts that go out and sit on teams or I'm, I'm curious how you organize it. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, actually. So we do have our central team, and, and it's exactly right, right? We consult and partner with teams um, across Google to think through, you know, what are the new features and services and products that are being created, and how do we make sure um, that we, we build for equitable outcomes? Um, but we also do have Googlers who sit within our different product areas who are driving this work specifically for those product areas. Um, the last thing I'll say is, too, we, we have a group called Inclusion Champions, who are 2,000 Googlers from um, all different backgrounds and walks of life who help us uh, dog food or test our products. Um, and that's really important because I think that no matter kind of where you are in the company and where you sit, um, we all come with our own um, experiences. And so if we can bring uh, more kind of perspectives to the table, the outcome leads to more innovation and better, better um, products for everyone. Did you say 2000 Googlers? Yeah, 2000. <laughs> All right, so th these are people that work for Google that have kind of raised their hand and said, I'll, I'll like, I have a, a perspective that I can provide when new products are coming out. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So we want to just make sure that we have. A multitude of right. We all come with with our own um, experiences, and so it's important to have experiences wider than just the product teams. And so we've um, worked, you know, across Google to make sure that they're able to connect with these inclusion champions. Um, and I think that that kind of collaboration and co-creation is is um, really kind of the core of what product inclusion stands for, right? I think uh, an example of that is the work we've done on, on the Google Assistant, um, where even before it launched and very early on, the team was um, cognizant that it could say potentially insensitive things. And so we worked with the inclusion champions to adversarially test or kind of stress test the product. And um, we brought our inclusion champions in. And when it launched, um, there was a very small amount of escalations. Um, I think it was like 0.002% or something like that. Um, and that's a testament to making sure that groups that um, have a perspective or have a background, right, can help kind of collaborate and usher the product forward um, so that when it goes out into the world, it really is showing up and built for everyone. Mm. So that's that's interesting. You had uh, a bunch of people, did you say stress testing, sort of? 
Yes, exactly. So trying to essentially break the product before it launches, right? So we wanted to find out what we definitely don't want to include and and no product team can do that alone, right? So it was the power, I think, of collaborating with these inclusion champions who, you know, are different races, genders, ability, ages, right? Geographies. So um, everyone is coming with their own perspective. I think it's really important to note too that, you know, communities aren't a monolith, right? So um, it's important to have multiple perspectives even within certain communities. Um, but then to say, not only do we wanna suss out things that we don't want the assistant to say, what proactively do we want it um, to say, right? And how do we want it to kind of show up? So I think things like, you know, asking it, you know, tell me a fact about Pride Month or um, do Black Lives Matter, things like that, right? Those are also proactive collaborations. And I think that is a testament to the team's understanding that um, they're building for more than just themselves. And so they need to include those perspectives at those critical points in the process. Mm, yeah. And I can't even imagine, we don't have to get into this, but like just the the way that um, that a system like that would have to re- reply to abusive things would have to be very carefully considered from a a bunch of perspectives as well. So that's, that sounds like a very difficult job. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, there's a lot to think about, but it's, it's really, uh, something that I I love to be doing because I, again, I'm, I I see myself reflected, right. And, and see the communities that I'm a part of reflected. And it's really powerful when our users, you know, come and say, you know, the pixel camera takes, you know, these incredible pictures of, of myself and my friends who are all different skin tones, right? Like we're really trying to get to um, building products that show up for our users in the moments that matter most for them and can capture what they want to be captured beautifully and accurately. And so we have to, you know, really be proactive about inclusion, um, like every step of the way. That is such a good example uh, when you when you reference the phone, uh, the camera on the phone. Um, that I, I remember hearing that a few years ago, and and it really opened my eyes to the depth of exclusion in technology. Right, like I could understand marketing, and everybody is white, and and you know, and even the language that's being used in our interfaces is being from a very sort of Western or even European or perspective and things like that. But when it got to the level of the algorithms that are on the chips in the sensors, right? Where those, Mm -hmm. that level of technology way down at the core of it, you know, and, and the, the camera sensors being designed to make white skin tone look better or being optimized for that or, or, or the the alternative other skin tones never even being considered. I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, we have so far to go. Yeah. There's so much opportunity, right? I think that it's a journey and it's not something that's just a checklist or a nice to have, right? It, it has to be something that's a commitment for the long term. Um, and it, it, it's something where, you know, you're constantly learning new things. Um, and that's part of the beauty of it, right? Like you can constantly be iterating and constantly working to, to build even more inclusively. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about having these 2,000 internal advocates, but I would imagine that that you cast a much broader net even outside of Google. Yeah, I think, you know, we 
we say, you know, focus on the user and all else will follow, right? Mm. And so I think that that's really important to get those perspectives um, from our users and to get that feedback as well. So that's definitely a, a big part of that. And I think in, in terms of even before that, right, research is really important. And that's one of the kind of four main pillars of this work. Um, when you're doing research, making sure you're thinking about things like geography, for example, um, if our teams are based in the U.S., have they done research outside of the U.S.? Um, have they thought about rural versus urban, right? Have they thought about people with dis different languages or have they thought about um, if they're bringing people in with different disabilities um, and how they make sure that that process is inclusive? and equitable, right, for even kind of cultivating and creating the research. So there are a lot of different, I think, pieces of um, building inclusively, and that starts um, from the onset, right? Um, and I think the earlier you start, the easier it is. Um, I want to ask you about some of the process of like how we actually do that, but I'm going to take a very quick break first, uh, and then we'll be right back. This episode of Presentable is brought to you by Teamistry, a podcast that tells stories of teams that work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. Each episode of Teamistry is really a story, and in each story, you'll find practical lessons for your team or your business. Uh, this season, which is just out now, uh, has a few episodes already that, that tell remarkable stories. One of them travels into underwater caves in northern Thailand to discover how designers and medics and soldiers and volunteers all work together to free a group of trapped teenagers. Uh, there's another episode that explains how a world-renowned watch company pitted two of their factories against each other in an attempt to become one of the best watchmakers in the world, and an episode that I just listened to about how Iceland went from having one of the highest COVID-19 death rates in Scandinavia to one of the lowest. In that episode, they focused on three government officials who the public knows as the Trinity. It is the uh, top epidemiologist, the director of the health department, and the head of the police. They started with this public campaign of actually a pop song in which they all sang some of the lines. Uh, but it wasn't just about convincing the public. They also spent a bunch of time preparing before the outbreak. And interestingly, even though their plans didn't look at all like what ended up happening, it was that process of planning that made all the difference. I think that's something we, we can really relate to in the work that, that we do with our teams. So uh, season two of Teamistry is out now. It's hosted by the award-winning documentary filmmaker Gabriella Copperthwaite. Uh, she had directed Blackfish. And you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search for Teamistry. That's T-E-A-M-I-S-T-R-Y. That's Teamistry. Uh, or there's a link uh, down below in the show notes. So our thanks to Teamistry for all their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so you were mentioning uh, that, like taking inclusion right to the very beginning of the process and making it a priority. I want to I want to talk a little bit about how uh, you know everybody out there listening on the teams that they're on uh, who have the same similar sort of feeling that the the products that they're working on could be more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Where do they start? Like at the at the very beginning. I know I know you you've talked a little bit about having an internal champion and, and trying to affect the change in the organization as well as in uh, the team you're on. Um, do you have some examples of that? 
Yeah, I think the first thing is to commit to um, to commit to change, right? And and to understand that this is um, something that is a value add, right? It's not just like this uh, this additional kind of like hoop you have to jump through. Um, we we actually did some research on the business case for inclusion, and one of the things we found was that um, obviously you know diverse teams are going to lead to to different kind of innovation experiences, but that teams that um, even are still working on getting to the representation that they would like to see can still build inclusively if they're intentional about bringing it into multiple points in the process, right? So the teams that were able to do that were bringing um, inclusion in at at least two of the four key points, right? So they might be really focused on research and really focused on testing or really focused on ideation, really focused on marketing. So I think it's one about um, having that shared like language and framework around like what this is, why it's important to looking at your process and saying, okay, these are the 10 points in our process. Um, what are the two to three points that we think, you know, if we focus on, it'll disproportionately affect the outcome positively for groups that we have historically um, not kind of been serving. Um, and then the last piece I would say is to actually talk to the, the users that maybe aren't part of your current demographic, right? So you're not going to understand like what the needs of people are without talking to them. Um, and, and we really try to help teams understand that they can't assume what to know what someone needs without talking with them and co-collaborating with them. So I would definitely kind of understand um, where the opportunity is to kind of ask who else and to um, start to kind of broaden the pool of who your target user could or should be. Oh man, that message of talking to people before you build a product for them, like that's been my whole career. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just over and over again, repeating <laughs> that. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Um, so let me just tease out one thing you were, I, I think I heard you saying there was that you saw improvement in inclusion in even in teams that didn't have the kind of representation uh, mm -hmm. that they had hoped for, that were that were perhaps less diverse, but with the intentionality to to try to make their products more more inclusive. So that it is almost a message of optimism that even mm -hmm. though you have a lot of distance to go, perhaps on the mm -hmm. team you're sitting on, in terms of who's represented on that team, you can still do good work. Exactly. Right. Like I think this, you know, diversity equity inclusion work is, is long-term work. Right. But I think you can have short, medium and long-term goals. I think as you're working to build a team that is reflective of the world around you, you can start to take concrete action. Right. And, and so the teams we saw that um, were still kind of working to get to that representation when they were really intentional, pointed and proactive and, and holding themselves accountable to kind of asking who else and bringing more perspectives in from historically underrepresented groups, they still could build more inclusively, right? So I, I totally agree with you. I think um, it's it's inspiring for me, right, to see that and to see teams that understand they have, you know, progress to make, but we're all on a journey. And so it's really important um, to not wait until you, you get to perfection, right? Um, it's, it's important to start to say, how do we make sure that we're intentional about uplifting voices that have kind of historically been at the margins? Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, does your team also do any sort of training or, or you know, working with teams to help them understand uh, before even getting to you know, helping them execute? Yeah, absolutely. So I think education is a, a big piece of, of yeah. this work. Um, and I think that people have to have a shared like language around 
um, DEI work in general, right? So it's really important that people understand what you mean, right? When you say things like intersectionality, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we do a lot of education first on kind of what product inclusion is and why it's important and showing examples. Um, product inclusion looks at 12 dimensions of diversity and the intersections of those dimensions. And so um, it's really important, again, to, to talk about things like intersectionality. Um, an example I use a lot is that, you know, I'm a black woman and I'm also left-handed and it's not like I'm black on Monday, left-handed on Tuesday, and a woman on Wednesday, right? right? Like I'm always all of those things and it affects how I move through the world and it affects how I interact with products. And so um, helping teams think kind of holistically um, about users is really important, but you have to kind of have that background in education first. Um, we, we launched a um, education program last year for our technical Googlers and 12,000 technical Googlers actually took um, this training, which is, I think, really um, important, right? Right. Um, to we have people from all different roles um, really understanding kind of what this is and, and why it's important. Wow. Wow. Twelve thousand. That's um, uh, that's not only just a great number, like a huge amount of people and reach and influence. Uh, but it's also, I think, uh, an indication that you probably have some metrics and some goals as a way of measuring the, the impact of what you're doing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, our, our team thinks a lot about input versus output metrics. Um, we think a lot about, you know, what we call metrics that matter. Um, but I think they all go back to, you know, users and and their satisfaction um, and making sure that they're having um, similar experiences, you know, no matter their background. So that's an interesting sort of connection there, right? It is the idea that you have internal metrics, but also, of course, external metrics. And, and at some point you have to align this, right? Like you have to say that the work that we're doing for more inclusive products are going to affect the bottom line of the business. Like it's going to make us more successful if we do this, not just, you know, feel good. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, generally, right, like there's a misconception that underrepresented groups don't have power and that's just not true, right? And I think that um, that has been historically why, you know, maybe you know, teams haven't thought about this, right? But um, when you look at the stats, there's, you know, 1 billion people in the world with a disability, right? Um, mm. U.S. Black consumers have $1.4 trillion in purchasing power. When you look at, you know, women globally, I think it's like $18 trillion in purchasing power and make a lot of household decisions, right? So I think we have to kind of have a cognitive shift around, quote unquote, historically underrepresented groups, right? Because um, they do have, you know, cultural power, um, purchasing power. And, you know, if you're building a, a product or a service, right, the goal, I think, is to have it be useful to as many people as possible, right? Regardless of the dimensions that make them who they are. And so um, in order to do that, you you have to have metrics around it, just like any other part of the product design process, right? Like I, I like to think of product inclusion as something that gets embedded into kind of existing pieces of, of a process, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a standalone thing or an afterthought or a nice to have. Right. It's not an event. You know, it's right. not like, um, uh, even if like uh, if user research has always felt like this, uh, in many of the organizations that I've been a part of where, where it's, it's not on every project and the ones that they do, it, it is like this marker in time, like, and then we will do research, uh, you know, in the, in the sixth week of our sprint or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, we, and always trying to communicate, no, 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 it has to be in the DNA here. We like it has everything we do is going to be infused with this. Um, and I think that's sort of what you're getting at, huh? 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, you know, product inclusion is three years old, but it really leans into Google's mission, right? To organize the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful, right? The universal piece is what we're talking about. So again, no matter where you're from, who you love, how much money you make, whatever the dimensions are that make you who you are, right? Like we're building for you. And so um, it, it is something that I think is part of like the essence of, of what Google stands for. And it's just about putting it into practice. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's really good. That's really good. So uh, you uh, wrote a little bit in your book about this, uh, what you're calling your capstone project, right? Like the yeah. like the big end of your college career thesis project. <laughs> um, I remember capstone projects. Uh, the, uh, but, but you did that when you got started, right? Like, was that your 20% program project that led to this? Or, or t- tell me a bit about that research and, and how, and the outcome. Yeah. So I think that the first thing was, you know, when we first started doing this work, it was really kind of collaboration and experimentation with different product teams. Um, But once we got to a point, we wanted to make sure that we could take all of the kind of um, case studies and examples and work we had done and figure out and distill down what actually works and doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we looked at three different questions. Um, we looked at, you know, one, do, you know, consumers care about, you know, inclusive product design and marketing? Two, who can do this work, right? Which goes back to what we were talking about earlier around team representation and building inclusively. And then three, like, what are the actions um, that that a team needs to take to build inclusive products? And so uh, it was something that we felt was really important to do um, to kind of figure out um, what are the actions we should start to help teams double down on, right? So we have, I mean, maybe it's like a 20-something point process where we we build um, resources and infrastructure for teams so that we can meet them where they are, right? But those four points in the process, the ideation, um, UX, user testing, and marketing phases, were clear um, that those were the ones that teams were coming back to time and time again, and that they really kind of shaped the outcome and trajectory of the product. And so after we kind of did that research, it was easier for us to kind of counsel and consult um, with teams on like what they really should be focusing on. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah, that's great. And so those four points, ideation, you, user experience, testing, and marketing is um, it's something that it feels a little man, like it's manageable. You could break that down and say like, how could we have a strategy for each one of these? And um, as opposed to saying like, we just have to be inclusive across our product. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that 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 can feel overwhelming, right? If you're like, okay, like throughout the entire process, like we have to do this. I think what's nice about those four points is they take you throughout the this life cycle, right? It's early on in the process. It's the research and design and um, testing, which are kind of in the middle and then marketing, right? When you're launching and kind of sharing um, a story, right? Or a narrative kind of with your external audience. And so I think that it helps teams understand that it, this needs to cascade throughout, but but also that you can kind of build upon the previous step, right? So mm. when you think about it in the beginning, right, that can go into the research, that can go into the design. Um, once you've kind of taken that inclusive lens, when you go to do testing, right, hopefully you've sussed out some of the things or you know what kind of questions to ask, right? And you can get that feedback. Also understand what groups you need to be asking who else about and bring be intentional about bringing them in. And once you get to the marketing pieces, right, you can tell um, inclusive stories, authentic stories with, with real people people, right? Because you've done the work. Um, it doesn't really make sense to kind of espouse a story without actually having the design process back it up. 
Oh, right. Like that's everybody's worst, like, uh, uh, the image of marketing, right. Which is just that that it's just this like sheen that's slapped on at the end, but rather when it's coming from reaching all the way back into the ideation we were doing and, and kind of collecting that experience over time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, the, uh, one of the interesting results that you talked about was that both minority and majority users have a preference Mm -hmm. for brands that demonstrate inclusive uh, inclusiveness. And, and I found that really interesting as a compelling argument as a business case to say that, that clearly when people see themselves in a product, they have more affinity for that product. Like that makes sense. Right. But also when, uh, people see an attempt or, or, or a genuine movement towards inclusivity in a, in a brand that, that may not represent them. They still feel that affinity. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a cognitive shift that needs to happen, right? It's not Mm. just, you know, Annie is a Black woman. She wants to see Black women represented, right? We live in a world that is beautifully diverse, right? People come from all different backgrounds and walks of life, and that's the reality. And so I think consumers and users understand that, and they want to see that reflected, right? I think when you look at powerful storytelling, it's something that is far-reaching and and almost universal, right? That you just because you aren't maybe on the surface exactly like that person, you can connect to them and and build empathy with them, right? And so I think that empathy and being able to kind of step into someone else's shoes is really important. And I think that, you know, um, consumers are really looking to see that, right? It's not um, wanting to see kind of just like a narrow version of the world around us. They want to see an authentic version of the world around us. And this episode of Presentable is sponsored by another podcast that you should check out, and that is SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast from our friends over at Microsoft. Um, If you're looking for a new show to listen to, check out SyncUp. It takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive so you can learn about how to connect files and share your documents and work from anywhere. And you'll get to hear about the design and development side of things, too. So each show covers a dedicated topic and has guest interviews, uh, news and announcements, plus a a special topic outside of the technology norm. And so you have an idea of what to expect. Uh, Some of the topics include things like empowering Mac users or changing management, production and adoption and customer success, file sharing, personal vaults, all that kind of stuff. Uh, There's a new episode uh, that just landed a couple of weeks ago about Microsoft Ignite, uh, the big sort of developer conference that Microsoft holds every year, uh, and a lot of new features that are being added to OneDrive. And so they talk about all of that to get a sense of all the changes that are happening. Go uh, and have a listen to it now. Uh, Just search for SyncUp wherever you get your podcast. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P. Or just click the link down in the uh, show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to SyncUp and Microsoft for their support of this show. And all of Relay FM. Uh, all right, here's a question I have for you. We also have talked a lot on this show about almost this like silver bullet in, in user experience of getting every member of the team to be involved in the user research, to have some exposure to the people who will use the product. And I mean, actual like physically in the same room watching the research participating in the research it doesn't have to happen continuously but like if if you can get somebody to do it uh, it, even just a couple of times a year so that they have this experience of like there are actual humans that i am designing for i had uh actually a a google design director named uh jens uh he's uh I, i know google has a thousand 
thousands of people there, so you may not be familiar with him. He's based here in London. Uh, and he took on a project at Google to get, I can't even remember the number, it's something like 4,000 engineers to sit in a user research session in one year. Like it, <laughs> this, right? And really pushed to do that. And I, I, I saw in your work too that having firsthand experiences was so valuable. I was, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know Jens, but I would love to meet him. Oh, hey, I can introduce you to it. That'd be great. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a feat and it's so powerful. Um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, as as much as we can help teams get close um, to the user, right, and to understand and to see firsthand and to hear those stories, right, um, that's when we move from kind of awareness um, to action. Mm. Um, and so I think that everyone, you know, should be able or should kind of prioritize hearing directly from users. Are, are there going to be roles that do that very often and some that don't do it as much? Sure. But I think that if you have a point in the if you have a stake in the process, right, where you're helping to build for this outcome for a user, you should be hearing what the needs are directly. Um, I, I personally done that. And it's, it's really powerful um, to hear um, feedback, to hear kind of how people use things. And it's, it's always surprising, right? Like, I think we all make assumptions around how things are used or what people need. Um, but it there's no uh, shortcut or there's no um, supplement from kind of hearing directly directly from people on yeah. what their, their desires and needs are. Yeah, no, really, really, really powerful. I'm, I'm curious some of the other things that you, that may have come up in your research as you were, as you were going through all of that, just, um, uh, if there were any highlights or, or, or things that you found really powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, we looked at, we looked at and surveyed and shadowed a bunch of teams of all sizes, um, which was also interesting. And I think I kind of came in thinking that, it may be easier to kind of do um, build these inclusive practices in um, for teams that are much more nascent, right? Which right. Um, they, you know, they're, they're kind of cultivating and co-creating their processes, et cetera. But what was cool was to see that even when we looked at kind of more mature products or more mature teams, um, they were able to kind of build inclusively. And and what that took was to kind of unpack and, and uh, draw open, right, these key points in the process and to say, okay, like, here's, you know, here are the three things we do in user testing. Um, let's make sure that we have the data um, that, shows us right like what the path forward is who else we need to bring into the room um and and so it really is i think compelling for me to see that you know it really doesn't matter kind of like how old your team is how long you've been doing something you can always learn from more people and you can always be kind of expanding the circle um of who you have kind of in the room but also who you're serving and building for. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it reminds me of the work that came out of Google ah oh, it's probably 5 or 6 or 7 years ago even now. I remember reading about this in in Harvard Business Review, the um uh the Google, the project Aristotle where uh yes. right that like the the internal study that Google did to try to figure out what teams were successful and and what like what were the criteria for the most successful projects and 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 what were the teams like and that the biggest finding was this sense of psychological safety it outweighed every other dimension like cumulative IQ and schools and uh, ship release dates and all of that stuff. It all came back to safety that that the teams that were successful were the ones that felt like they could 
have any idea and not be reprimanded. And 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 crossing that with something that I think in a, in a lot of a lot of teams might cause some discomfort or or fear of this like idea that like we have not been representative in our products and now we should be and it's it's frightening, you know. So there's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that that um that psychological safety that you're talking about is so important, right? You you have to create a culture where people understand that um, they can thrive um, and we're excited about their, the differences that they're bringing to the table, right? That's when you have those conversations. That's when people can push back. That's when people can say, hey, have we thought about this? Or like, this doesn't represent my community, but this does, right? You're not going to have those conversations and you're not going to get that like authentic feedback if it's not a safe space. So I think that um, the Aristotle research and just really understanding that, you know, people process and product, right? Like all of those things are inextricably linked. Mm. Um, You're not going to be able to build inclusive products if you don't have the processes set up for people um, to feel safe, to thrive, to share their voices and their opinions. Um, And you obviously have to have a multitude of people or perspectives um, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if we could, we talk a little bit about all of the dimensions that product teams have to consider, right? Like uh, you mentioned specifically in, you know, the intersection of 12 different dimensions, just in inclusive inclusion and representation. But I also like, I've had conversations with ethicists on this show that talk about taking the time and the intention to make sure that all the ethical repercussions and externalities, even for majority users are, are, are taken into consideration and, and being able to put the brakes on a project that, that could have impact on society that was not considered. Right. But I, I would imagine many companies now have teams similar to yours, but focused entirely on the impact of the climate and sustainability, right? And I know that there's teams that that do very similar work around uh, user privacy and security. Like the, all of these dimensions and all of this, um, in some ways, maybe even fighting for the attention of the product teams, uh, it feels like we have this very different way of thinking about the impact of our products that didn't exist even five or six years ago. Like it feels like there's a lot more coming to bear than like what, what database we're going to use, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the kind of questions that, that 10 or 15 years ago were all we ever thought about. Right. Um, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. But I think that's exciting, right? That yeah. means we can constantly be learning and expanding and growing. And I think that it builds, they build upon one another, but um, with the 12 dimensions of diversity, right? Like we started and maybe had six or eight. And when we talked to our inclusion champions, when we talked to our employee resource groups, right, we found that we needed to to expand um, to 12. And, and I think that it's important because there is context and nuance, right? So what is um, underrepresented in the U.S. is not underrepresented um, in Japan or Nigeria, for example, right? And so it's really important to be able to kind of flex and look at these intersections um, so that we can kind of build products that that work for everyone. And, and what we found um, in looking at these, these 12 dimensions of diversity is that the curbed cut effect happens a ton, right? So um, when we are looking at, you know, fixing something or kind of creating something to make sure it's inclusive for a certain underrepresented group, actually the benefits cascade way past that group, right? It it benefits everyone. Um, And so I think that that's, that's also a really exciting thing to see when you have, you know, multiple dimensions that we're trying to kind of think through holistically. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That's really, and it's really interesting. In my own work, I spend almost all of my time with startups. And these are companies that are absolutely brand new, two and three and four people, you know, starting a company. And our, our, our work with them to, to give them the under, understanding or to, to collaborate with their own understanding of, of how inclusion and focus on climate and focus on the ethical repercussions that all of those things are not something that you get to later, you know, that like we'll spin up the product and we'll get things working. And then as we scale, we'll start to tackle some of these harder problems. But in mm -hmm. fact, are the core of the business, right? Because of all of the changes that are happening in society, the, the reality is like, look, you're not going to be able to hire people or keep right. them. Right. And you're not going to attract a large audience uh, if, if, if these things aren't perfectly evident in, in every decision you make right now. So um, so it's really interesting at a, a company like Google that man, I don't even know how many people work there now. But, it, you know, it's enormous. Um, one of the biggest companies in the world, all the way down to the two or three or four people who are just getting started. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're completely right, right? Like you can't um, just kind of keep on pushing and then expect to kind of bring this in at the end, right? It just doesn't work that way. And so um, I think the more that companies, you know, no matter their size, can just think through like one or the what are the what is the one thing? What are the one to three things we can do um, to make sure that we're kind of bringing more voices into the fold? It's it's much easier to do it that way, and it's much more organic. And I think you'll actually see a lot of benefits to it, right? Again, it's not just um, that it's the right thing to do. It's going to help kind of like power and amplify your business as well, because mm. you're able to kind of connect with more people, right? And you're able to serve and and help more people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so so sort of last topic here. There's a lot of conversation in the tech world about the next billion users, right? That that technology has uh, historically and geographically been unequally distributed, right? And that there are um, there's a tremendous number of people who are just barely getting online, not online yet, um, mm -hmm. and I I hear a lot of that conversation also kind of mixed in with the inclusivity and, um, and thinking about ways to lift populations and, uh, and things like that. But, but sometimes I also get a sense of, of a bit of sort of colonialism, right? That we will bring technology to them. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes if, if what it would look like for designers to strive to be included in other cultures, efforts to define their futures, rather than kind of big tech coming to these places and saying, here, here's the future. Um, why don't you become part of our market? You know? I mean, I totally um, agree with that. I think that, you know, our, our NBU team are really sensitive to like collaboration, co-creation and being on the ground to understand the needs of users. Right. Mm. I agree with you that you can't just kind of like, copy paste something and expect that it works for um, everyone around the world, right? And you need to understand the differences in experience for people who have never been online. Like there's no way that, you know, the way that you and I maybe use the internet is going to be the same, right? So you have to actually take the time to listen, right? To to understand, to do research, to get feedback, um, to create products or services that, that work for these um, different constituencies. So I think that that's something that even um, from our senior leadership that is, is definitely like a priority 
Um, I think, you know, I always have this mantra in my head from a former teammate who said, if you're talking about them, there better be some they's in the room. And I think that that's yeah. really important, right? Like you can't assume to know what people need or build for groups if they're not helping and collaborating with you. And I think that the NBU example is, is a really like strong one for that case. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. I'm, it's good. It's good to hear that that's coming from the senior leadership, that that feels sort of embedded in the, uh, in the culture all the way through an organization like Google. So, um, yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, it, this is such a good conversation. I, I wonder where, uh, the people listening can find out a little bit more, uh, a little bit more about your book and, and just where, where your, uh, ideas are uh, on the web. Yeah. Um, we, we share work, um, on accelerate with google.com um if you are you wanting to learn more about um inclusive design practices um i'd love to co- you know continue the conversation um on social media um, my handle is it's me ajb um and yeah i i really appreciate you um having me on and and this has been a really fun conversation well thanks i'll put uh links to all of that in the show notes uh on the website so everybody can follow uh, along there uh annie it's just great to have you thanks so much for taking the time Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean, and this was Presentable. Presentable.